How to Play, Episode 39, Eclipse. Hello and welcome back to the How to Play podcast. This is your host, Ryan Sturm, coming to you from the How to Play studios in Western New York. The How to Play podcast is all about learning and teaching games. In each episode, I provide a full explanation to help you learn and learn to teach another great game. For more How to Play episodes, special episodes, teaching guides, our discussion forums, and to help support the show, visit our website at www.howtoplaypodcast.com. Also, be sure to visit our affiliated podcast on the Dice Tower Network at dicetowernetwork.com. Now let's get to today's episode. Hello, listeners. Thank you once again for tuning in. Uh, with you today is a jubilant Ryan Sturm, a very happy and triumphant and proud papa, as my son was born on July 27th, Sven Ryan Sturm. I have a son to go with my daughters. Very, very exciting. We are very pleased. And uh, both my children are napping right now, so I'm going to sneak in some time to record this episode. Here we are for you. This episode was recorded on August 2nd, 2012. So we recently had that fundraiser, and the the fundraiser went fantastic as uh, over 100 people donated. As a thank you to those supporters, I sent them a survey for some general feedback, but also to vote on which episode they wanted to hear here for episode 39. And a pretty clear favorite from the results of that survey was this game, the hottest game of the last year or two, and that is Eclipse. I think it was a fine selection by the How to Play supporters. So let's hear about those people. The sponsors for this episode are the Good Americans of the Northeast, and 27 of them supported the show this season. Which state do you think garnered the most? You would think my home state of New York, but actually it was edged out by my favorite state in the Northeast, Pennsylvania. Thank you to Nicholas, Robert, Andre, Daniel, James, Dennis, Timothy, and Greg in Pennsylvania. Also thank you to Edwin, Peter, Tom, and Robert in Massachusetts, John, John, and Tom in Maryland from one of my favorite states, New Hampshire. Peter, thank you. Unlike Vermont. Come on, Vermont. What's going on? Rhode Island, Maine, Connecticut, I got my eyes on you. Just because you're small, don't think I don't see you. Holding up the honor of New Jersey is Matthew. In New York, we do have Dustin, Gary, Rodney. I've got VL. I'm not sure the first name there. We've got Chris. We've got Andrew. Thank you. And in Virginia, we have Jeff, Chris, Chris, and Thomas. Thank you for making this episode of How to Play possible. They got to choose episode 39. You want to help choose episode 40 and on, check out the How to Play request list. I will be looking at that for my choices, so go there. It's a geek list on Board Game Geek, which you can access from my website, howtoplaypodcast.com. All right, so let's get into this episode now, covering Eclipse. Eclipse was designed and came out last year in 2011 by, I'm going to give it a shot, Tuco Taco Calio, a Finnish designer, uh, and it's published by Asmodee. The box says uh, it can play from two to six players. I would say that four and six players are the best numbers. Five is a good number, and I wouldn't really recommend it for two or three. So let's talk about why I love this game. This game is fun. F-U-N, fun. 
It has this excellent action selection phase, uh, giving you a lot of different options for what you want to do on your turn. You can build your spaceships to your pleasure, whether you want to you know, get lots of guns, lots of shields, lots of tiny ships, lots of big ships, and then build this giant army and smash into each other and roll a whole bucket full of dice. It is just a great time. And in fact, um, Jeff Engelstein and I extrapolated and blathered on quite a bit on how much we love this game, doing what we called a case study on the Ludology podcast, available at ludology.net, where we talked about all the different design features, the graphic design, the, the narrative arc, the interaction. We talked about all these things we liked that this game combined to create such a successful and fun experience. So if you haven't listened to that, I would definitely recommend giving that a listen. And it's very highly rated there at Board Game Geek. It's like in the top 10. I think it's in the top 5. It's because most of the people who go there looking for a space combat civilization experience get exactly that, exactly what they're looking for, and get it out of their first play. But there's still some people who might not actually like this game as much. If you have more timid players, those that like to avoid direct conflict, they don't like attacking the other players or being attacked, or you don't feel comfortable attacking them, say, you know, it's your wife and that just doesn't work very well, then that's this isn't going to go well. This game has the potential for elimination. Uh, it is in the player's hands. They can prevent it by having a good defense, but if they're kind of muddling through the first game and there's an experienced player, they could really almost take them out, uh, say, halfway through into the game. Most of the time, it does occur that you get nearly knocked out. There's only one or two turns left. So generally, you know, there's, there's not that much longer in the game, fortunately. And, and then again, if players are playing a little more friendly, they, they can control this so that th that doesn't happen. Next, I just say that this, this game really, it, it is a strategy game, but it's a thematic, fun experience game first and a strategy game second, almost comparable to Rex in that way. There's lots of what we like to call on Ludology output randomness, meaning, you know, you put yourself into a situation knowing the possible odds, knowing maybe you have more ships, but it's a 60% chance of winning, or you throw yourself in there and with even armies and there's a 50-50 side, you're going to throw dice and see who wins. And that is a, a big part of the game. I'm also not entirely sure that this is a game that you play to sort of get better and learn sort of the strategies and, and play very tightly because of that output randomness. This isn't a Kalis or a Tigris or an Age of Steam where you're going to set yourself up to play it, you know, 20, 30 times to really become strategically great at the game. You play it, I'd say, number one to have fun which doesn't prohibit you from playing it competitively, of course. I just think that once you take away that thematic fun experience, that's, that's really the number one reason for enjoying this game. Complexity rating. This game is a black diamond. There are, you know, it's going to take you at least 30 minutes to explain the rules to this game. The players that you teach this to, you know, should like games and be invested in learning the game. But it's not incredibly complex. There's not a lot of rule exceptions. The rules are straightforward and it has this classic game design feel. Everything works sort of the way you think it should work. If you get shields, you know, your ships are harder to hit. So everything is, is really intuitive, even though there are quite a few rules to the game. So let's get into the explanation. As always, I recommend, you know, having a 
look at that game, make sure to look at some pictures, or if you have the game, you know, have those components to help you understand these rules. Let's get to the hook. Part one, the hook, what the game is about. Welcome to Eclipse. The six Terran factions have lived in peace for many years. These six factions originally emerged from the migration from the barren Earth and have reached out to each other and formed an alliance through the Galactic Council. But peace makes for a terribly lousy board game. So out of sheer boredom and looking for something to do, these six groups of humans have decided to battle it out in a spectacular sci-fi battle of superiority to see which group is the most awesome and will become the controller of the universe. We will each start on our home worlds, taking turns choosing one of six available actions. The most common actions being to explore an adjacent hex, to spend science points to research technologies, to upgrade your ships with these awesome new technologies, to build more ships, or to move your ships on the board. With each action costing money, and with each successive action you take on a turn becoming more and more expensive, eventually a player will pass. And when all the players pass, that round will be over. The game is played over nine rounds, and at the end of those rounds, the player with the most points will be the winner. The largest and most common sources of points in the game are bonuses for exploring new tiles, territories you control at the end of the game, technology tiles that you have researched, and reputation tiles earned for participating in battles. So these things represent your four major goals in the game and correlate directly to what us fancy gamers like to refer to as the four X's. Yeah, four X. And this is known as a 4X game. 4X, 4X games are cool. Yeah. yeah. And knowledge of these 4Xs cool. 4X. will help focus you on your goals and help you to score the most victory points. So here are those 4Xs. Yeah. 4X. In the recommended order for galactic domination. Explore. You start on one hex, and you will first need more territory, and by discovering more hexes, you can get more points. Expand! Build settlements on those newly discovered territories to get more resources, and if you hold those territories at the end of the game, you'll get more points. Exploit! Use those resources on your new worlds to get more actions, more technology, and more improved ships. For researching a lot of technology, you will get points for doing that. But even more important, you'll be able to deck out your ships with big guns and things to help you with the fourth X. Exterminate! You use those awesome new ships to decimate your opponents or neutral ships and take their territory, or simply just use those ships to protect your holdings from evil players who are greedily eyeing your planets. So the player who accomplishes those four goals, explore, expand, exploit, exterminate the best, will score the most points and win the game. Four, four X, X games, games are cool. Yeah. yeah.
Part 2, the meat, how to play the game. All right, so let's get into learning this game. I really recommend that you have one of those player boards in front of you or a picture of that player board with the human side up as that really gives you a good foundation for understanding a lot of what's going on in this game. So definitely take a look at that if you can. So we'll start with that by looking at that player board, which is sort of your home base of operations. And start by looking at the basics of how you get resources in this game and how you take actions. So as I said in the beginning, your first goal in this game is really to expand so that you can exploit and get more resources. So let's talk about how to do that. At the beginning of the game, you start with one hex, and on that hex you'll have three planets, an orange, a pink, and a brown planet. And you'll take one of your population cubes and put it on each of those planets. Those population cubes come from an income track. On your player board, you have a row of 12 orange, pink, and brown squares, and 11 of those are covered by cubes. You're going to get to take one from each of those and put them on your home world. So you have a person on an orange planet, a person on a pink planet, and a person on a brown planet. And what having these people, or these cubes, on planets does is it gets you more resources. So one of your goals is to discover more planets so that you can place more of your cubes so that you can get more resources. As you can see on your player aid, before you colonize your home, if you have no cubes on a planet, you still get two of each type of resource. By placing those first cubes, you're now getting three of each kind of resource. And if you manage to play another cube, say you manage to play an orange cube on an orange planet, now you'll be making four orange. So what that number represents of right now three, you're making three, that's your income. You have an income of three orange, three pink, and three brown. So you get those resources at the end of every turn. When you get those resources, you mark them in your storage. Going along the outside of the track, you have an octagonal marker and a numbered track going from 0 to 40. You start with a couple starting resources, and these octagonal markers mark how much orange, pink, and brown that you have. So at the end of the turn, if nothing changes, you're going to get to bump up each of these by 3. Now, what is orange, pink, and brown? Orange represents your money, and you use the money for being able to take actions. The more money that you have, the more actions you will be able to take. The pink represents science, and science is used for researching technologies. The technology tiles are going to go in the middle of your player aid there. The brown is what you need for building ships that represents the materials, you know, the, the metal and the, the flashing lights and the dilithium crystals and all that. And these are correlated by things on your player aid. The action track is that track of discs and all those circles are in orange because it costs money to take actions. Whenever you buy technology tiles, there's a pink circle in them because they require science to buy. And if you look on your ships, your, your three pictures of your ship and your star base they have a price in a brown circle because you have to pay brown in order to get those different ships so your first goal what you're hoping to do is find another planet and then be able to colonize that and when you colonize that you take one of your cubes from your player board say there was an orange planet on it you could take your cube from your player board place it on that orange planet and now he is making money for you your money income has gone up and you will start receiving more money at the end of that turn and each following turn. 
you may be lucky enough to discover a gray planet. The gray planets are wild, meaning when you colonize that, you can choose which track you want to uh, take your population from to earn more orange, pink, or brown. You'll also notice that some of the boxes on the planets have stars in them. These are especially harder planets to gather resources from. I don't know, maybe they're really rocky planets or something. But you need a specific technology tile in order to colonize those particular squares with the stars on them. But most of them will be blank. And an important note about these resources, you can always replace one particular resource for two of any other kind. So if you need that extra flexibility, you just have to pay another type. So say you, you really wanted to buy a certain technology, but you were short one pink, you could use two of your brown to pay for that one pink. You might use that for building ships or for taking more actions or, or whatnot, but don't forget that you can always do that. You can trade in two for one. So that's what gathering resources is about. You want to find tiles so you can put your cubes on them so you'll get more resources at the end of the turn. We'll talk about how you do that in just a second. But first, let's talk about that action phase. The main part of this game is the action phase, where we're going to go around and around with each player taking one action. And we do that by using these influence discs. Below those income tracks of cubes, there is a row of influence discs. And these discs are very important because you need to use one of these each time you want to take an action in the action phase. You also need to use one of those to mark that you control a hex on the board. And so how this action phase works, which is really the heart of the game where a lot of the important decisions take place, is we have a start player and there are six different actions to choose from. Explore, research, upgrade, build, move, or influence. And above that row of influence discs, there are six circles that co correlate for each of those actions. And the start player will decide which one of those they want to do, take one of their influence discs, and put it in one of those circles. They will execute that action, then the next person clockwise will go, choose an action, and resolve it. And we'll keep going around the table and around the table. Typically in the first round, players will take two, three, or maybe four actions. Why would you stop taking actions? There's, there's 12 discs there. Well, you'll notice that each time you uncover an action, a cost is revealed. It starts with zero, and then it's minus one, minus two, minus three. That largest cost, that last circle that you've revealed, that is going to be what's called your upkeep, how much you're going to have to pay for the actions that you did that turn. Players need to balance this with how much money they're going to make at the end of the turn. So remember, look at that cube track. If you don't populate any other orange planets, you're going to make $3 this turn. And that's going to allow you to do four actions. One, two, three, four. If you remove four of your influence discs, that says minus three. So you'll make three, you'll be minus three, and you'll be net zero for the turn. So your money storage won't go up or down. If you were to take another action, you'd be at minus five. So your income would be three, your expenses or your upkeep would be minus five, and so you'd be at a net negative two. 
Well, fortunately, you start the game with two money in storage over there with your storage markers. So you could burn those if you wanted to, but then you wouldn't have any extra uh, going forward. And don't forget, if you take control of a new hex in a turn, that's going to gobble up one of those influence discs. So that's one less action you're going to be able to take. But generally, that is what's going to balance how many actions you can take. You're going to compare what your income is, how much you're making, to that upkeep. And usually you're going to spend about as much as you can so that you can take as many actions as possible. And at the end of the turn, you'll compare those two numbers. And if you're even, then your storage marker won't go anywhere. Or it might move up or down a little bit. So usually that orange marker doesn't move too far as players are generally spending sort of all their money. But after that, they'll earn that pink and brown. And those pink and brown markers will go up so that during the turn, you can use those to spend them on technologies and ships. So that's how the action phase works. You know, in the first turn, players will probably do three or four actions. It'll go around and around until a player decides to stop. It's important to know that you can do the same action multiple times. So if I want to explore on the first turn, I put my disc in my little explore circle. That doesn't block me from doing it again. If another player explores, I don't really care. If it comes back to me around a second time and I want to explore again, I certainly can do that. I just put that on top of my other influence disc that's on that circle. I could do explore every time if I wanted to. When it gets around to you and you don't want to take an action anymore because either you don't think you're going to have enough money or you want to save some of that money, you declare a pass. And you do that by taking your summary card and flipping it over to the side that says passed. If all the players pass sequentially, then that action phase will be over and you move on to the rest of the phases of the turn, which basically involve resolving any combats, resetting everything, and getting ready for the next round. However, if you pass and another player takes an action and it comes back to you, you're not necessarily out. You actually have to keep passing because you can take what are these little mini actions. You can do three of the normal actions at sort of a, a reduced strength because as a penalty because you already passed. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But once all players have passed sequentially, then that action phase is over. You move on to all those resolution steps and you're good to go. And that's really the heart of the game. You need to know what those six actions are and how to know which one to do next. So now that you know about how to get resources and how to take actions, let's look in a little bit more detail about those six actions. So the first action we're going to look at is the explore action. And this is going to be very important, especially at the beginning of the game. If you haven't seen what the board looks like, well, I hope you've played Settlers of Catan before, because all you need to do is imagine a Settlers of Catan board. It's a tessellation of hexagons. And we've got the central tile, which has this big defensive system on it. And then you've got all the players' home worlds at each vertex, each of the six vertexes of that hexagon, if you have a six-player game. So there's one empty hex slot in between your home world and the center, and one empty hex slot between you and all of the other players at the beginning of the game. And exploring allows you to fill in these empty hex slots. If you had just four players, then you would have just four of those vertexes. You know, imagine two on the left side and two on the right side. So when you execute an explore action, you pick an empty hex slot adjacent to a hex where your influence disk is. At the beginning, that's easy because you only have your home world there. And basically, there's three different 
ways that you could go about this. And there's three different stacks of tiles. There's what's called sector one. And sector one is the inner ring around that center hex. There's sector two. And sector two is that next hex exactly around the outside of that Settlers of Catan board. And then there is sector three. If you were to go out where the, where the ocean is on the Settlers of Catan board, then that's sector three. And actually you can explore out there basically however you want to. Say you're at the top of the board and you want to just go the opposite direction as far as you basically can, you can do that until those sector three tiles run out. Why would you choose to go in around the outside or way out in the boonies in sectors one, two, and three? Well, there's advantages and disadvantages to each. If you go towards the center, the, that tile stack, and they're labeled on their backsides, one, two, and three, the inner sector one tile stacks are more likely to have nice juicy planets and more planets on them and be worth more points. They're also more likely to have these alien neutral ships called the ancients that you're going to have to fight if you're going to take over that tile. If you go towards the outside, the Sector 3, go out towards the boonies, well, it, that's a lot safer because you're further away from all the other players, so those hexes will probably stay safe. But as a result, those hexes also have fewer planets on them and are worth fewer points. They also, I don't think, have as many of those alien ancients that you have to worry about. And the Sector 2, that sort of outer ring, that's sort of in between uh, the, the inner circle ones and the boonie hexes. It's right there in the middle of having a moderate amount of planets and points and, and aliens. So you're going to pick a hex slot. Say I decide to go the opposite direction out towards the boonies. I pick up a sector three. I point exactly where I'm going to place that hex. I pick up the hex and I look at it. If it's really ugly and I really don't like it, I can choose to discard it and put it face down at the bottom of the pile. Generally, I don't want to do that because that immediately ends my turn and almost feels kind of like a wasted action. But usually I'm going to want to claim that. When you claim it, you're going to have to place it so that your ships can fly to it. And you do that using these wormholes. Now, in this game, you're not allowed to go through any edge of the hex that you want. You're only allowed to go through these wormholes. Hexes will have these wormholes on probably two to four or five of the sides. Your homeworlds have these wormholes on four of the sides. The wormholes are these semicircles. And so when you get a new tile, you want to orient it so that the semicircles match up to make full circles, and that allows you to travel through. You can't go across a hex that has no semicircles or one semicircle. You need one that has the full semicircle. And that adds for some really interesting decisions as you can choose how easy that tile is to get to from what direction. You do have to place it so that you can get to it. Now on the tile, it's going to have either zero, one, or two skull icons. The skull icons represent these ancient alien ships. And if those show up, you're sad because you don't get to immediately claim that hex. You don't get to immediately colonize that hex. You just have to sort of wait up till you're big and strong enough to go in there later and fight and kill them. But you might still play it so that you don't sort of have to waste your tile draw, as I said. They all also come with this discovery tile that you're going to get to take as, as a reward if you claim it. So if the hex is empty, meaning that it doesn't have any of those skull icons, you can immediately claim it with one of your influence discs. 
So once you put it down, you take one of your influence discs from your track and you put it in the center of that hex, showing that you control that hex. That's good because it's worth points. It has planets on it that you can colonize probably, but it's bad because you used up one of your influence discs and now your actions are more expensive. But the other thing that's great about claiming these is that you get that discovery tile. This is sort of like that, that Monty Hall let's make a deal game show in that you can take the money or the box. Uh, but unlike in the, the Let's Make a Deal game show, you actually get to look inside the box to see what you've won first and then choose. Because you can take two victory points. On the front side, they all have two victory points. On the back side, they have some sort of neat bonus. The bonus might be an immediate boost in orange, pink, and brown resources. Might be five, six, or eight of something, which is really nice to get you jump started. Or it might be like a free ship, or a free technology, or one of these alien ship parts, which are really fantastic. So you would look at that, see, look at your, your shiny little toy, and decide it would be really tempting to take it. Uh, but later in the game, you might want to take it and just say, I'm going to take the points. And you hold on to that for the two victory points. Then you may colonize it. This is the exciting part. So you have these three cardboard tiles. They're sort of octagonal cardboard tiles called colony ships. And this is how you get your cubes from your player mat onto empty squares on uh, hexes where you have your influence discs. So say I discover a planet that has a pink planet with a box in it. That makes me very happy. And now I can colonize it. How I do that is I flip over one of my colony ships to the used side, and then I may take one of my cubes from my pink track and put it on that hex, on that square, on that pink planet, and hooray! Now my science income has been raised, and at the end of the turn, I'm going to get more science income. And so you're limited by these colony ships to only placing three of your cubes onto new planets. Now one of those actions allows you to reset them, but we'll get to those later. But that's how exploring works. You choose a direction you want to go. Remember, inside is sector one, outer ring is sector two, out in the boonies is sector three, based on you know what your strategy is. If you pick it up and you hate it, you can throw it away, but then you end your turn. You orient it based on where those wormholes are. If there's skulls on it, you're going to have to put one or two of these ancient ships, depending on the icons. You won't be able to claim it. Later on, you'll want to move into that hex and probably fight and kill those aliens so that you can get the discovery tile, but you're not getting anything out of it now. If it's empty, you can claim it with your disc and then take your reward. You'll choose whether you want the points or the special bonus. And then you can colonize it. You use your colony ships to take your cubes off the track and put them on the board. You're going to want to do this quite a bit here at the beginning of the game. That's action one, explore. Let's look at research. The research action allows you to purchase a technology using your pink science resources. Why do you want these technology tiles? Well, they'll give you special abilities. Most of them are used in battle, but there's also some other nice things too. Now, there are 24 different technologies available, which can seem sort of overwhelming, but the game limits this in an interesting way. At the beginning of the game, you'll pull out a random number of these technology tiles, depending on the number of players. For example, for four players, it's 16. So you pull those out, 
put them on this central player board so that everybody can see which technologies are available. And there are four tiles of each available type available in the game. So 24 times four, there's 96 of these tiles. You put them in a bag, you draw out that starting number, and that is what is available to all of the players. So there may be zero of many of the different technologies available at the beginning. There may be only one, so players are gonna fight for it. Or there might be two or three, so that you, know, you don't have to worry about fighting for that. You have a good chance of getting one. It really adds a lot of change to each of your games due to the timing of when those different technologies come out. So based on what techs are available, you'll, you might prioritize how quickly you do this research. If you see a really nice technology and there's only one of them and you want to be sure you get it, you may want to do your research first. But never fear if one disappears. At the end of each round, a random number of additional tiles come out. In a four-player game, it's, it's seven tiles that are randomly pulled from the bag. And so you'll have a limited number at the beginning and more and more will come out. It's really a nice system. We'll talk more about what the techs do at combat and, and at the end. But for now, just know that purchasing them is a good thing. The cost of the tiles is right there in a pink circle. There's actually two numbers in the pink circle. The first one is bold and a little bit larger, and that is the standard cost of that technology, which can range from 2 to 16 science points. Now there are three different categories of these technologies, what's called military, grid, and nanotechnologies. Who knows what those things mean? It's probably better just to call them red, gray, and brown. Each of the 24 technologies is divided into one of these three categories. And generally, it's good to get a lot of the same category of technologies. And the reason for that is that you get discounts. If you look at your player board, you'll notice you have three rows to place these technologies correlating to those three different categories of red, gray, and brown. You'll notice in those rows a negative number, negative one, negative two, negative three, and so on. Those are the discounts. Once you place the first technology in the row, say you get a gray technology. So you put that in your gray row, and now for the next one it says minus one on that. That means now you're gonna get a minus one discount on any of the other seven gray technologies that you choose. And so on, if you buy a second one, then for your future one you'll get a minus two discount, and so on. So the technologies range in price, two, four, six, eight, 10, 12, but usually you want to buy the cheap ones first and then move up to the more expensive ones. Because remember how I said there's two numbers on those technology tiles? The first is the base cost. The second is a minimum cost. For example, advanced economy, the price is 10 slash 6. So if you have no other gray techs, that will cost you 10. But if I already had one gray tech, I'm getting a minus 1 discount. I would only pay 9 for that. Say I had a bunch of gray techs and I have a minus 5 discount. Um, the price is 10 slash 6. So 10 minus 5 is 5, but because the minimum price is 6, I still have to pay 6. So that's why you want to sort of buy the cheap ones first because they'll help you purchase those big, expensive, awesome ones for a lot cheaper and a lot closer to that minimum value. 
What you'll notice also on those three rows is shield symbols. When you get to the end of the track, we have shield one, shield two, shield three, shield five. That shield symbol always means victory points. And so you're rewarded for getting to the end of some of these tracks. So you will get whatever the victory points is on the next empty space in the row that you're in. Once you get four of a certain category, now you're starting to earn victory points. And the more you get of that category, the more you'll be able to earn one or two more victory points. So usually it's good to specialize in one or two of these tracks if you can because you're going to get the things cheaper and you'll have a better chance of getting to these victory point levels. So that's action two, research. Action three, upgrade. So this is the next natural step after you get a cool technology. As I said, most of them upgrade your ships, but when you take that research action, all you're doing is you're giving yourself the availability to get those tiles. You haven't actually got them yet. After you get a technology tile, say the, the plasma cannon technology tile, you are now eligible to take the ship part tile that says plasma cannon on it. These two tiles are mainly differentiated because the tech tiles have a little notch cut out of them, and those go on the associated space on your player aid board. The ship part tiles are full squares, and those are placed directly on your ships. For example, if you were to research the plasma cannon and you get the tile, good. Now you know how to make plasma cannons. You haven't made any of them yet. This is what upgrade does. When you upgrade, you can take two tiles and add them to your ships. Now there are several basic techs already available to everyone. Uh, the ion cannons, if you want to have more guns. There's hull, which makes you harder to destroy. So you wouldn't even have to research anything. You could just go and start and take two more of those freebie tiles and add them to the ships that you have. But ideally, you want to get something new and shiny, something like the plasma cannon, because it's a better weapon. And then when I take the upgrade action, I could take two of those plasma cannon tiles and add them to my ships. Now it's kind of neat how this works. You have these ship blueprints for your three ships and your star base. And when you upgrade a tile onto your blueprint, it upgrades all of that type of ship. So if I take a plasma cannon and put it on my interceptor, which is the smallest, I put it on that blueprint. Now all of my little ships have those plasma cannons to use. I may want to take two of those plasma cannons. I could put one on the interceptor and one on the cruiser. And now all my small and medium ships, my interceptors and my cruisers, both have these plasma cannons. Or I could take two of these plasma cannons and put them on the same ship, which is going to give that ship a lot of guns. Or maybe I want to combine uh, one of those new ones I've got and one of the old ones. Maybe I take one plasma cannon and one hull and put those both on my cruiser. And now my cruiser has a newer, shinier gun and is a little more tough. I mentioned your small, medium, and large ships. And they are small, medium, and large in what you can put on them. They start with some basic things on them. The small ships has four squares. The medium has six, and the large ship, the Dreadnought, has eight. And all of the, those ships are mostly filled with those basic technologies. For example, the small ship has a little cannon, has an energy source, and it has a drive. And it has one empty square. So I could put that plasma cannon in that empty square. Or I could put that plasma cannon over on top of the ion cannon, essentially replacing it. And that's what you'll probably end up doing is because you'll run out of space. You're basically going to take the, the basic technology squares that your things start with and put better ones on top of them. 
Getting these tiles and placing them is free. It doesn't cost you any of your resources. You already paid the cost, which was the research. And you'll pay cost again later when you build the ships. So you can mix and match these upgrades however you want to. Remember, your action gets you two of the tiles and you can put them wherever you want. Put them on top of stuff you've already built there with just two basic rules you need to follow. Your ship has to have a drive. It has to be able to move and it has to have enough energy. At the beginning of the game, your ships will have the energy of three, three with a lightning bolt. And so when you're adding um, guns and things, each of the, the guns require energies. So in order to be able to add you know, bigger guns and, and faster drives and things, you're probably gonna need another energy source, which you'll have to research and upgrade that so you can put lots of good guns on your ships. But other than that, you can put it on any way you want to. Ships have to be able to move, and they have to have enough energy. Other than that, you can put whatever tiles you want on there, which is pretty cool. So that's it for action three. Let's move on to action four, which is building. So maybe you've researched some cool stuff like plasma cannons. You've put them on your ships so they're ready and upgraded and you've got awesome guns on there, but you don't actually have any of those ships yet. Well, that's not exactly true. You might have lots of interceptors on the board already, and if you upgrade them, then they're automatically upgraded. They don't have to like come back home or anything like that, which is pretty cool. They must you know teleport those technologies out to those ships or something. But usually if you bulk up, say, those tiny ships, now you're going to want to build a lot of those tiny ships. So when you build, you can build up to two ships. Building ships is what materials are for. And you can see on your player aid next to the blueprints, it has the cost in a brown circle because brown is for building ships. And so those tiny ships only cost three each. And you may want to build a million of them, but you can only build two. That's the restriction of the action. So I might spend six materials and I just move my brown marker down the track. And then I take two of my little ship figurines. And when I build my ships, I can place them anywhere where I have my influence disc. And they're ready to go out and do battle or help protect me. One thing that's very, very important is you are limited to the ship count that you get at the beginning of the game. So you may make like the most awesome cruisers in the world. The cruisers are the medium-sized ships. You may have like six of the most awesome technologies on that ship anyone's ever seen. However, you can only build four of those because you only have four medium ship pieces. And so in this way, a lot of times you do kind of have to spread out. You kind of have to have two of your ships upgraded because you can't rely on just one ship type. There are some other things you can build when you build. You could build star bases, orbitals, or monoliths. We'll talk more about those in the vegetables, but generally you're building two more ships. Next, action five is move. When you take the move action, you can make three ship movements. Usually you're making those to attack something or to get in a defensive position. So three ship movements, uh, you can divvy that up any way you want, just like in backgammon, if that makes any sense. Meaning you can move one ship three times, or you can move three ships once, or one ship once, and one ship twice, etc., etc. The movement is based on your engine. At the beginning of the game, everybody has this basic drive that can only move one space, and that's shown by how many hexagons are on that. You can get better drives that can move you two spaces or three spaces. So if you had that three-space drive, you could move one of those ships nine spaces, or you could move three of those ships 
three spaces. So you start to figure out how that works. If your little ships are fast and your big ship is slow, you might move your little ships really far and then your big ship will trail along behind. Now, if you get to a hex with an enemy ship or those neutral ancient aliens that want to kill you, then you have to stop there. And at the end of the turn, after all the actions are done, you're going to fight them. Now, if you bring enough ships, you can bypass them. There is this rule called pinning. How that works is there's those ancient alien ships. Say you have two cruisers and you want to move through those ancient alien ships. Say you have a, a drive that moves two spaces. And so you could move both of those to that hex where that alien was. And then that alien pins one of those ships that they're going to stop to fight it. But then that other ship can stay there to help. Or if it wants to, it could continue on past. Same deal if you were invading an opponent's territory. If you had three ships and they had two ships and adjacent hex, you could bring all of them in and one of them could move past, but the other two would have to stop so that it could be two on two. Now, a good move might be, if you, if you wanted to, to leave all three there for the fight, but it might even be better to sneak in there and take over or do some damage deep into an opponent's civilization. So you cannot go through hexes that have ships. One ship must stop for every one enemy ship that is there. That's called pinning. But if you bring enough, you can sneak in uh, more ships deeper or even just move past those aliens. But that's moving. You can make three ship movements. You move a number of spaces with each movement equal to your drive. The last action I'm going to talk about is influence. I'm talking about this one last on purpose because it's probably the most uncommonly used of the actions, but is important for uh, some very strategic purposes. The influence action allows you to take control of or to give up control of up to two hexes by placing or removing those influence discs. Now, at first, it may be hard to think about why would you ever want to give up your hexes? Or why would there be hexes without markers on them? Well, one of the number one things that will happen is that you might have spread yourself out too much. And if you have too many of those influence discs on the board, your actions get really expensive and you're going to go bankrupt or you just won't be able to do very much on each turn. So this can be a way to get off of some of those hexes that aren't worth very much to give you some more resources to maybe take better, juicier spots on the board or just to get more action. Now, if you take your influence disc off of a hex, if you have any population cubes on that hex, you have to take them off immediately and they go back to the correct color. So if you took off a disc that had one pink science world on it, you have to take that cube off and put it on your science track. So reducing your science income. This also might be used later in the game when you've done that or other players have done that. They've had to uh, withdraw from hexes. You might want to take some of those juicy spots that people have left to get the points on those hexes. Remember, if your disc is on there, that's worth points at the end. But another important feature of this action, it actually does two things. It allows you to move two influence discs. But the second important thing that it does is it unflips two colony ships. Remember, as we talked about in the explore section, you have those three cardboard colony ships that you flip over and you can use up to three of them on each game round. And those are what allows you to put cubes down on the planets. Now, if you take a lot of territory, or you think you're going to take more territory due to a combat, then this can be a good thing as you can get those cubes down right away. So if you run out of those colony ships, sometimes you might just take this influence action just so you can get two more colony ships so you can get two more cubes down. 
or you would also you know move the influence discs it's good if if both of those actions help you then it can be a very strong action don't forget about this influence action it allows you to move two influence discs on the board or off the board also in addition we could also say or if you don't want to do the influence disc thing you can flip two colony ships over to use them again and you can use them again immediately in fact, it's important to note that colony ships, although they're usually used during explore, during the influence action, or after combats, you can use your colony ships at any time during your action. You can use one or more of them to put your cubes onto planets and hexes where you have influence discs. So that's it. Those are all the six actions. To review, just look at your player board and look at these awesome icons that are on that action track. So there's the row of influence discs. Right above that, there's the action track. And it has these icons that are very clear that tell you exactly what those actions do. So if you ever forget, just look at those pictures. Let's look at them right now from left to right. Explore. You see a big hexagon on that. You can pick a hexagon adjacent to where you have a disc and flip it over. And if it's empty, you can take it over. The next one is Influence. You'll see two discs there. That means you can move two influence discs, either from your player aid to the board, or from your board to back to your player aid, or from one place on the board to another place on the board. You may move up to two of those, adjacent to hexes where you have influence, or in a hex that has ships of only your color. Underneath that, you'll also see two little hexagon symbols. Those are the shapes of your colony ships. So it, it has above and below that the two things that that does. Research, one technology. You can see one of those squares with a bite taken out of it. Those are the technology tiles, the shapes of those. You can buy one of those when you research. Upgrade, you see two squares. The squares don't have a notch taken out of them. Those are the ones you take from the, the main board and you put on your blueprint. So once I get my pl plasma cannon technology, I get the full square tiles to put on my ships. I can do two tiles, any of the ones that I have already researched or any of the freebies. Build, you'll see two wrenches there. That allows you to build two things. Usually you're building two ships and you're gonna use the brown materials to do that. And lastly, move, you'll see three arrows on them. Each arrow represents a move. You can move uh, one ship three times or you can move three ships once or any combination therein. Now those icons, you see those icons there right where they are? Those are important because if you ever play again, you play the advanced version with the aliens, this is what's very cool. It changes the each of the players simply by altering some of those icons. For example, some of the aliens let you build three ships. Some of them only move two spots. Some of them let you research two technologies. And they show that just by changing those icons on the player aids on the other side. Now look at your little summary card. This is a little um, card-sized piece of cardboard, and it lists the phases and things. And you also flip this over when you pass. And when you do that, it has three more discs on that. And these are those reaction actions. Remember, if you pass and it goes comes back around to you because someone else takes an action, you can take one of these what are called reaction actions. And you do that by taking an influence disc and placing it in one of these circles that are on this pass card. And it's a build, an upgrade, or a move. And it's only a mini build, mini upgrade, or mini move as represented by those icons. You'll see only one wrench, one tile, and a ship with one arrow. So instead of building two things, you could build one. Instead of upgrading two, you could upgrade one 
and instead of moving three, you can move one, and that's your penalty for having already passed. However, it still can be very useful for generally two reasons. One of them is if there's a surprise attack, uh, say an opponent decides to venture into your territory and you didn't expect it, you know, you could build maybe one dreadnought right there and say, surprise, let's do this thing, bucko. Or the other sneaky thing you can do is you could pass maybe one turn early to get that start player. Remember, whoever passes first gets start player. And then instead of doing a, a full upgrade or a full move, you just move one thing. But because you really want that start player, you take that sacrifice of having that mini action for your last action. But that's it. Those are the actions. We go around in circles as people explore or research or upgrade or build or move or influence. Generally, very early on, you're doing a lot of exploring and researching. Then you get to sort of that middle of the game where people are really upgrading their ships and starting to build ships. And then, you know, in that middle of the game, players starting moving those ships out, starting to think about making some attacks into the, you know, of course, killing those ancient alien ships that get kind of weak once you get a lot of technologies or starting start thinking about invading their opponent's territory. So after everyone has passed and not until then, do we deal with any fights? But once everyone has passed, anywhere where there are ships of different colors or ships fighting in a neutral, we'll have to resolve all of those combats to see who destroys the other one. Let's get into those. How do we have a fight? All right, so after the action phase, you check and see if there are any combats. Combats are any hex that has two colors of ships in them or has a player ships and a neutral force. Either they go to that center tile, which we haven't talked about yet, but that's the galactic central defense system, or we have a player fighting one of those ancient alien tiles. We resolve the order of those outside of the galaxy to the inside, and we do that using the numbers on the tiles. Each tile is numbered. Remember, there were those three sectors. The third sector, which are the farthest out, start in the 300s, the middle ones are in the 200s, and the inside are in the 100s, and that central tile is, is the lowest number. So you, do the, you check those numbers, and you do the highest number, and you work your way down to the lowest number. Whenever we have a fight, the fight is only between two sides. Uh, you know, generally it's two players or one player and a neutral. If there are more than two there, say there are two players and a neutral ship, then the two players fight and whoever wins then would fight the neutral ship. If there were three players in a hex, uh, whoever were considered the last two in that tile would fight first and whoever wins that would fight the, the defender of that tile. And whoever has an influence disc is considered the ultimate defender. So basically, if you had three people in there, the two invaders would fight to see who gets to fight the original owner of that tile. So once you've decided who's fighting, uh, the fighting works pretty simply. It happens in rounds. You're gonna have each type of ship fire once. So say I had small ships and medium ships, and you had small ships. Each group of those would take a turn, and we'd keep going until only one side was left. Which of those groups fires first is determined by initiative. Initiative is determined by these arrows, which are marked on the blueprints next to the ships, as well as on technology tiles that you can add to your ships to make them faster and give them more initiative. 
Remember how I said they're small and medium and large ships? The small ships start with two arrows, the mediums with one, the large with zero. So by default, the small ships will go before the larger ships, though there are technologies you can add to give you more of these arrows. If there's a tie, if a group has the same number of arrows, uh, whoever is the defender, the defender is considered, you know, if, if you have that tile, it has your influence disc on it, you are the defender. If nobody's disc is on it, whoever was there first is the defender. The other person is considered having invaded them because they were there first. So let's, uh, let's just drop a sample battle. Let's say I was attacked by Tom Vassell with his three small interceptor ships and I had my small interceptor ship and uh, I had one medium cruiser ship. So we determine who gets to go first. Let's just imagine they don't have any special tiles on them. Since the interceptors are smaller, they're a little bit faster, so they're gonna go first. We both have small ships, but since I'm the defender, I get to go first. Uh, to begin with, each of your ships has just a little bitty ion cannon on it. So it has one yellow die symbol on it. So I'm going to roll one yellow die. And in order to hit, I simply need to get a six. Sixes are hits. So I roll that, and because I'm so incredibly lucky, and because of my fury for defeating Tom Vassal, I roll a six. Hooray! Which does one point of damage. One point of damage will, by default, kill a ship. So one of Tom Vassal's ships blows up. Now he only has two small ships. That dead ship doesn't get to fire. So now Tom Vassal has two small ships that do get to fire. So Tom Vassal rolls for all of his small ships at once. Each of his ships only has one gun. There's two of them, so he gets to roll two dice. He'll roll those two at the same time. He throws them. He gets a three and a six. So he got one hit and one miss. Now Tom gets to decide where he wants that damage to go. One damage usually kills a ship. However, the cruisers start with a hull. Each of those hulls can absorb one point of damage. So at the start of the game, the small ships take one point of damage to kill, the cruisers, the mediums, take two points of damage to kill, and the dreadnoughts have two hulls on them to start, so they take three points of damage to kill. So he has a choice. He could either knock out my interceptor, and I couldn't fire with that anymore, or he could do one damage to my cruiser in hopes that he'll get to do one more damage to it and kill it. He decides to take the sure thing and do one damage to my small ship and kill it. But my medium cruiser ship hasn't gone yet. The cruiser has one die on it, so I throw that die, I get a two, and I miss. Round one of combat is over, and the next round of combat begins. So the next round begins, my small is dead, uh, so he's got his small and my medium. Smalls are faster, so they go first. At the beginning of any ship's turn, they can decide to retreat if they want to. So Tom could decide to run away. If he does that, he has to wait till those ships next turn, and then he gets to go away. He must go away to a hex where he has his disc, and there's no bad guys there. But of course he says, run away, never! And he picks up those dice, and he rolls boxcars, which is two hits. He can assign both of those hits to the cruiser, which can only take two damage. My medium ship is dead. It doesn't get to fight, fight back. Battle over. Tom wins and makes a gleeful yet strange noise. What is that? I do love Age of Steam. Tom, will you pay attention? We're playing Eclipse here. We're not playing Age of Steam. I haven't been paying attention. No kidding. Well, I'm not surprised.
So that's simply how it works. You figure out which group of ships go first. They roll all the dice for all the guns that they have. Any sixes are hits, and you keep going through each ship's turn until ships of only one player remain. Now when the combat is over, I have innocent people down on those planets. I have some scientists down on a pink planet. So one of my cubes there, in order to take over the hex, he needs to get rid of those. So he gets one shot at taking down that population. So he has two guns. He throws his two dice. He gets a three and a five. Uh, both of them miss the innocent scientists, luckily. And my scientists survive for another turn. If he were to kill them, I'd have to take that scientist and I would put them in this grave section on my player aid and at the end of the turn, they would go back to the track. The reason for that delay is that I still get that scientific research before they come back to the track. Then after a battle, this is an easy part to forget, but don't, you get victory points. A winner, even the loser gets victory points. There's a little chart that tells you how many draws you get out of this bag. The bag has tiles in them worth victory points that go from 1, 2, 3, and 4. The more ships that you kill, the more draws you get out of the bag. It will be between 1 and 5. You get one draw just for taking part in a battle, even if you lost. And then more tiles for each ship based on this simple chart. For example, in this case, Tom would get one for the small ship and two for the medium ship and one for participating. So that would be four tiles he would get to draw from the bag. He's going to look at all four and he's going to pick the one highest and put the rest back. He's going to take that reputation tile and put it in the left corner of his mat face down. These are hidden victory points. You only have four slots for these, but once you fill up those four slots, you can get rid of one of your lower ones. Say you had a one and then you drew a three. You could take the three and replace that lower one on your mat. However, there's only a few threes and fours in the bag, so generally what happens is as the game goes on, it's harder to get those higher victory point tiles out of the bag. Generally, those people who fight earlier in the game uh, have a better chance of getting those higher numbered tiles. If you did retreat in the battle, you don't get your participation draw. You have to actually kill something before you retreat in order to get reputation. Um, otherwise, they just sing that Sir Robin song. They bravely ran away, away, bravely ran away, brave, brave Sir Robin. And, and you get nothing, and we just look at you in scorn. If ships are damaged in the combat, there's these purple cubes to help represent that during the battle. But at the end of the battle, those cubes go away. They all get magically healed. You have very good engineers like Jordy LaForge is on there fixing everything up. So you're all fine for the next combat. If you manage to completely wipe out the other player, there's no ships. You've gotten rid of the population cubes. Then you can put your disc down. And then at the end of the combat phase, you're going to be able to colonize that if you have extra colon colony ships and get those resources from those planets immediately. That's it. Figure out who goes first, take turns. Sixes are hits. You can retreat on your turn, but you have to wait a turn before you can run away. If the enemy ships are left over with population cubes, they can then attack those cubes. If they manage to wipe out the hex, they can take the influence on it. Don't forget to draw reputation tiles based on how many kills you had. You only get to keep one of those. Repair your ships, and that's the end of battle. But battle would be really boring if that's all there was to it. I mean, it would take a long time to roll those sixes. Unless you're Tom Vassal and you can just roll boxcars whenever you want because you got loaded dice. Okay, okay. I've been sitting here trying to think of a way I could argue with Ryan. Tom, it's really suspicious that 
the dice you used are black, and the dice that came in the game are only yellow, orange, and red. Let's talk about how those technologies are going to significantly impact this battle that you spent science points on and then upgraded your ships. Okay, so half of these technologies are going to help you in the battle. Let's go over them in order of what they help you do in battle. First of all, there are the drives, the fusion drive and the tachyon drive. The drives have arrows on them. We already talked about how arrows are going to help you go first. And if you go first and roll a bunch of sixes, they're not going to get to fire back, which is good. Drives also um, impact how many spaces you get to move when you do a move action. The other thing that also has arrows on it is the computers. But the computers have another function. They allow you to hit more often, which is good because we don't want to sit around waiting for sixes all day. If you have the Positron computer, you're going to get to add two to all of your attack dice. So now you hit on four, five, and six, which is a significant improvement, and it gives you an arrow. That's really going to help you out. Or the Gluon computer is plus three and has two initiative arrows. To counter that, of course, we have shields. The computers have pluses and white boxes. It means when you, when you attack, you get to add those. The shields are in black boxes. For example, the phase shield is minus two. And that means when anyone rolls against you, they have to subtract two from their roll. Now, that seems like it's going to be really hard to hit you. However, this is where I have to get to an important rule, and that is a six is always a hit, and a one is always a miss. So if someone has a, a minus two shield, and you don't have any computers or anything, you can still hit them with a six. However, if you have a computer with a plus two, and they have a phase shield with a minus two, they've effectively nullified the advantage of your computer. Next, more guns. You know, a simple thing you can do, don't forget, those, those basic parts are available. There's five basic parts. One of them is ion cannons. The ion cannons are your standard guns that you get at the beginning. So if you just want to put another gun on there, you can. You remember you have those blank boxes. You could put another of those yellow ion cannons on your small ships. Now each of your small ships, instead of rolling one die, can roll two dice to try to get a six to hit. But you may instead want to get, say, the plasma cannons. These have orange dice on them. It has two little spots on it uh, in an orange square there. You may think this lets you roll two dice. It does not. What it means is it does two damage when it does hit. So remember how that medium ship, we needed two hits to kill it? Well, not really. You need two damage to kill it because it had one hull. One hull and then one to take down the ship. So if you had one of these plasma cannons one hit from it and you could take down that ship. There's also an antimatter cannon that has four spots on it and that is the red square and when those hit you deal four damage. So these guys can take down a dreadnought with one hit whereas you would need three hits with your standard ion cannons. Now the the color on those squares is to help uh, with the different dice. There's actually yellow, orange, and red dice in the game. And that allows you to, if you had a ship with an ion cannon and an antimatter cannon, uh, you could roll one yellow and one red for each of those ships and be able to differentiate which hit did one damage and which hit did four damage. 
It's also just a good reminder of how much damage they do. Next, we have the hull. One of the basic technologies is actually kind of nice is, is that hull. It's like a circle with a star inside. And upgrading your ships with, with one of those is nice because it allows your ship to withstand an extra damage. So if you just put one of those basic ones on your small ships, the interceptors, then instead of dying to just one damage, they take two damage to go down. But if you research the improved hull that has two of these circles with stars inside, those absorb two damage. So now your small ship would need three hits to take down if you had one of those and you could see how it could get pretty nasty on your your big dreadnought if you put three of these improved hulls on them that would be six of those symbols so you would need six and then one more to kill it you would need seven points of damage in order to take it down so you can really see how you can specialize based on your tastes. You can try to get guns that do a lot of damage, uh, guns that hit very often. You can make yourself very hard to hit, or you can make yourself maybe not worry about taking hits and just being able to absorb lots of damage or any combination therein and have a lot of fun experimenting with that. Keep in mind, though, the amount of energy these things take. The really awesome ones take lots of energy, so you're going to need a better energy source. Like the antimatter cannon, that thing that deals four damage with each of uh, your dice, that takes four energy for each of those tiles you put on there. So pay attention to that. Don't get all this cool stuff that requires lots of energy and not have an energy source. The next tech is pretty important, and that is the plasma missile. It's a bit frightening. The plasma missiles are very long range, so they get to shoot before anyone else gets to shoot. That's the good news. The bad news is they only fire once per battle. The other good news is that you get two die rolls. So if you put a plasma missile, say on your little small interceptor, then before the battle began, for each of those tiles you'll get to roll two orange dice before anyone else is shot at each other and try to get some sixes. The plasma missiles are orange dice, so they do two damage each, but then they're gone. So you could put yourself in a situation, for example, like with your medium ships, you could throw two plasma missiles on there. If you had a medium ship, you could run in there, you would get four dice to take shots at them and hopefully take them down. And if you missed and you didn't have any other cannons, then you'd basically be helpless and would have to run away. But it is a, a solid and scary tactic to load up with a bunch of plasma missiles and try to blow up opposing forces in one go. You get a dreadnought with four plasma missiles. That would be eight dice. You just get to get in there, throw eight dice, throw a computer in there, and it's very likely that that dreadnought's going to be able to blow up anything in its path before anybody gets a chance to do anything. Plasma missiles are scary. Lastly, a very important tech is the neutron bombs. They're very cheap, uh, but they're very important. What they do is, remember, after a battle, and there's that population on the planet. Normally, you only get one shot at the end of the turn to try to kill those, and sometimes your opponent could have two or even three cubes there, and you might not just be lucky enough to destroy them, and then you'll be stuck not getting that tile for that round, having to wait a whole nother turn to attack them again. Well, if you have neutron bombs, you don't have to worry about that. After you win a battle, you have those neutron bombs, you say, I nuked you, you're dead, and you take all those cubes off. Very useful evil technology. If you're planning on doing some serious invading in your opponent's territory, neutron bombs are a must. But those are all of the technologies. Let's look at the nicer, brighter side of things if you choose to be a diplomat and make friends with your neighbors instead. 
So diplomacy, you can make friends in this game. If you get to a point, it's going to take a while to be able to make a formal alliance because you have to have two hexes adjacent to each other that you each have influence discs on. So you're going to have to explore some tiles and take control of those tiles. And once you do that and you have a wormhole so that you can reach each other as well, then you can talk about being allies. Allying with a player has some advantages and disadvantages. If you decide to become allies and friends, you have these what are called ambassador tiles. Let's say that Tom Vassell and I decide to become friends. Uh -huh. This is obviously a fictional example, Tom. Just settle down. So we each give each other our ambassador tile, and we put it on the lower left corner of our player aid. And when we do that, he gets to come with one of your population cubes. So you get to choose money, science, or materials. That's going to increase your production by having that connection with this other civilization. It's also worth a victory point at the end of the game. You are allowed to be friends with up to three of your opponents. And you can see the slots for these funky looking tiles in the lower left corner. There are more than three slots there, but you only get three of those tiles. So the max is three. With the aliens, you, you might have less slots than that. And so when you do that, you have a truce not to enter each other's space until the end of time, till the end of the game. So you get a point, you get a little bit more production, and you are friends. The bad news is it is a violation to enter the same space now as that as your friend because that is an act of war. Say later on I decide that you know what I've had enough of Tom Vassal and I've got two dreadnoughts and I'm going to use them darn it. So I march those dreadnoughts in there to go you know neutron bomb his population. Thanks so much. I very much appreciate it. You are very welcome Tom. That's great sportsmanship. But doing that is breaking the alliance. I am labeled as the traitor. A couple things happen. We have to give our ambassador tiles back to each other. And then, since I broke the treaty, I get this little cardboard card that says traitor on it. And it, and it mocks you and besmirches your honor. And it has minus two victory points written on it. Well, that's pretty clear. You're going to get minus two victory points. As well as, I'm not allowed to make any alliances anymore. Say Jeff Engelstein comes to me and says, Hey, Ryan, do you want to be friends? Uh, I can't because I'm the traitor. But there's only one of these traitor cars. That's the fun thing. So say uh, Tom Vassell and Jeff Engelstein had an alliance and Tom Vassell marched a bunch of ships into Jeff's territory and decided to bomb his home world. Then people, history forgets about my betrayal. I get to hand that traitor card to Tom, and now he is labeled as the traitor. We'll get the minus two victory points at the end of the game and may not make any alliances with any other players. What do you think about that, Thomas? Uh, I don't want to talk about that travesty right now. So that diplomacy uh, element of the game is, is pretty neat. But now you pretty much know everything you need to know. We just need to pull it all together with the full phases of the game. You know how the actions work. You know how combat works. Let's just talk about what fully happens in one of those nine rounds of the game. All right, so let's get to the full phases of a round. A round has four phases. First phase is that action phase, where we go around a circle. Each player places an influence disc, taking one of those six actions until all players pass. Then we have the combat phase. We resolve combats outside to inside uh, using that tile number as order from great, greatest to least. 
Then we have what's called the upkeep phase. You can start this by using your colony ships. If you conquered some territory, generally this is where that happens. If you've taken over a hex, you'll want to use your colony ships to put your cubes on those newly acquired planets so you get more resources. So the next thing is your upkeep. In order to do your upkeep, what you look at is your, your current income. We just do the orange track first, and then you'll get your pink and your brown income in a minute. So your orange income, basically, you're just seeing that if you were able to maintain enough money. Normally, you're just sort of maintaining this orange level, so you're not going to get too much extra money in this game as you're going to generally spend as, as many actions as you can afford. Now, what happens if you don't have enough money? Your civilization is bankrupt, which isn't as disastrous as it might seem. If you had an income of four and your upkeep was minus five because you did a bunch of actions and you had zero money left over, now you're bankrupt. You're in trouble. You're going to have to do something. You have a couple choices here. You can just pay the two for one to make it happen. Or if you'd rather, you can pull off influence so that you're not bankrupt. Say you have uh, one hex that you don't really care for anymore. You could pull off of that tile, put the disc right on the track, and now your, your cost is only minus three. And so you have enough. You didn't have to burn that extra science or materials that you didn't want to. And maybe, you know what, honestly, you didn't care that much about that hex anyways. And so you didn't have to spend the influence action to get it off of there. So sometimes this is actually can be sort of a strategy if you're planning on giving up some of those tiles anyways, overextending yourself on purpose. And then when you hit this bankruptcy, you can pull off. Uh, of those hexes. Remember that if you do that though, any population on that hex has to go back to the track immediately. And so you're not gonna get that income this turn. You have to pay for these things before you get your income. So then after you've resolved that upkeep, making sure you have enough money, then you simply get your pink and your brown based on your income levels. Say you had a six science and three brown income shown on your track. You just move your marker up along the sides that much. And now you have that science and those materials for purchasing techs and building ships next turn if you'd like. That's the end of the upkeep phase. Then we have the cleanup phase. So we draw a certain number of new texts out of the bag based on the number of players. For example, with four, we'd get seven new tiles to put out there on the supply board. We reset everything. So your influence discs that were on the action track, put them down on your row so they're ready to use. Your colony ships, unflip them over. Your action card, flip it over to the unpassed side. I always forget this. And if you have any dead cubes over in the, the graveyard there, put them back in the appropriate tracks, now reducing your income. And then we move that round marker, and we do that all over again. And we're going to do nine full rounds in the game. So at the end of the game, how do we count up your points? Each of the hexes, if they have your influence disc on them, they'll be worth between one and four victory points. Generally, the closer they are to the center, the more planets they have on them, the more points they are worth. Your progress on the tracks, if you get over halfway on one of those three tracks, you'll start to accrue victory points. So you just look at those tracks and see what the number is on the shield. You can collect up to four reputation tiles. At this point, you'd flip those over. And, you know, of course, you've been hopefully trading in to get lots of threes and fours, and you'll get one to four points for each of those tiles. Your discovery tile. If you discovered a new tile, remember you had that choice between taking the bonus immediately or taking the two victory points for the end of the game. Any of the ones that you took the two victory points for, you can count those up uh, for your total. 
Your ambassador tiles, those are worth one each for each friend that you made and kept to the end of the game. And anyone who has the trader card gets minus two. There are these technologies we'll talk about in a bit called monoliths. And if you have those on a hex that you control, those are worth three victory points. So you total all that up. It's a pretty low scoring game. If I recall, somewhere around 30 to 40. Whoever has the most points is the winner of the game. Part three, the hamster. How to win the game. All right, now it's time for some strategy. Uh, I'm going to tell you how to win Eclipse in three easy steps. Step one, expand first. Get your engine running. Your first priority is to get more of those population on the board with the number one priority for that being money so that you can take more actions. So you want to spread out. You're probably going to take explore quite a bit to try to get some more room, get more planets, get cubes down on those planets so that you get more actions. Now, uh, when you take hexes that, that you explore, remember you're going to be using up disks. Beware of overextending yourself by running too low on discs. If you take too much territory, and especially lots of territory out on the outside of the board where you're only getting one planet each and they're not giving you a lot of resources, you're going to have a hard time when you start getting into turn threes, three and four as your actions are just going to get so expensive. So don't claim hexes just to claim them. Make sure they're worth it. And consider after you discover them to maybe use that influence action to pull off of them to uh, maintain the size of your empire so that it doesn't get too unwieldy. Second step for winning this game is the Boy Scouts motto, be prepared. One of the easiest ways I've lost this game and I've seen other people lose this game is to get greedy. They get involved in that engine building and uh, they, they start to think they're playing La Havre or something, that it's uh, just simply an economic game. Get more planets, get more resources, get more techs. They forget that there's three to five other people that are eyeing that uh, beautiful civilization as their new stomping ground. If once you start getting a decent amount of resources going, you stop getting or you don't get ship technologies and you don't build ships, then as early as turn three or four, you will be attacked and you will be punished thoroughly. So you need to keep an eye on either side of you and assume that they're going to kill you. Think to yourself, if I was them, would I attack my defenseless, juicy civilization with lots of great territory and victory points? The answer is yes. Build some ships, you dummy. <laughs> I'm talking to myself, I think, um, the first time I played this game. Uh, one of the good strategies is to focus on your shipbuilding. You're going to develop those three different ships. I wouldn't recommend trying to develop evenly across three. I mean, I've... Early in the first few times I played this, I've gone hard developing one ship type. And I found that, you know, eventually in the mid-game that starts to get you really tight. Because once you lose those ships or those ships go away, uh, then, then you're going to have a hard time. So developing at least two of those so that they can compete with your opponents is an important thing to do. The flip side of this is if your opponents 
are playing this game like it's Lahav and just uh, building up resources and, and buying shiny things and not buying any ships. Then crush them like the fools they are and crush them mercilessly. Once you start crushing in this game, you must continue the crush until they are stomped like a bug. Because a half-stomped bug has nothing else left to do but bite your ankles. So if your opponent is bloating like a juicy, ripe peach, you need to conquer that peach. Conquer that fuzzy, delicious peach. So expand first, safety second, winning third. Choose a path to victory. There's many different paths for you to choose from. You can go with that conquering path that I was just talking about. If you eliminate one of your neighbors, you completely just take them down. And as I said, you want to crush them completely. This is not a nice game. This is not a game to be forgiving. Then you'll probably get a bunch of those reputation tiles. You also have a good amount of territory worth a lot of points. Another path, if, if you don't like to do that route and... Uh, completely decimate your opponents. You know, you might be a Jeff Engelstein. You might want to be a scientist and get lots and lots of texts. And if you do that, then you have to be sure to put up a strong enough defense that discourages your opponents from invading your territory. You can't ignore building ships and building defense, as I said earlier. One of the ways to do that, one of the technologies is called a monolith, and it's pretty expensive, but once you get it, you can build one of these in each of your hexes. They're pretty expensive, but they're worth three victory points. And so if you're going the scientist route, you're going to want to really develop by lots of techs, have a good defense, maybe get some of these monoliths, maybe discover lots of territory, because you're, you probably won't get the same, uh, the reputation tiles or the territory tiles uh, that maybe some of your opponents will. Another route is the discovery route. Just try to discover a lot of tiles, uh, try to get some of those discoveries for the victory points try to get a good amount of territory but again as i said you know in all your discoveries don't forget to defend your home territory any path to victory in this game requires a strong defense and you may of course mix and match those strategies doing some conquering some science some discovering and if you feel like someone is is starting to run away with it you may on that eighth or ninth turn have to go after and try to knock them down a few pegs or if you're the person who has that strong lead you need to rein it in a little bit and protect your vulnerable hexes but that's it that's the basics get your engine running stay safe by having a good defense and focus on the most efficient ways to get victory points of those several options and if you do that then you very likely will become the most superior human faction in the galaxy. Part 4. Footnotes. Alright, so a few vegetables here. Just remember when you discover, you might end up with some of those ancient ships and you just read those icons on there for fighting those ancient ships. The ancient ships have two ion cannons, meaning they throw two dice to attacks, two initiative arrows, and they need two points of damage to explode, and they have a plus one, so they hit on five sixes. At the beginning of the game, you will not be able to defeat these until you've done a little bit of shipbuilding and upgrading. 
you do start the game with a, a measly one interceptor small ship that will very very likely get decimated if it takes one of these things on by the time you get to turn three or four you should be able to shoot one of these things down no problem and when i say turn i guess i mean round i i'm just going to take a second to say how annoyed i am that they decided to go with rounds instead of turns and i discovered this halfway through editing this that I'd been using the incorrect term, and it took me a bunch more editing time to go and fix all that, and uh, I think rounds is such a clunky term, I don't like it, but that's what they have in the game, so I tried to be consistent with that, and if, if I said turn, I meant round. There's nine rounds in this game. Grumble, grumble. When you're fighting these neutral tiles and they assign damage, uh, it's basically just follow the rules of they're going to try to kill as many things as possible. The other neutral uh, force in the game is the central tile has this tile on it called the GCDS, the Galactic Center Defense System, which is a lot scarier than those ancient ships. It, throw, it attacks four times, has a plus one, so it hits on a five or a six, and it takes eight points of damage to kill this thing. So this is going to take a significant force to take down. And once they do, it becomes pretty interesting because that center tile has a lot of planets on it. It's worth a lot of points, and it's a great jumping off point for are you going to attack and, and invade someone else with that force you just took down the GCDS, or are you just going to try to hold that planet and hold the center of the galaxy? It really leads for some interesting decisions there. Uh, what text did we not talk about? There's the nanobots, which allow you to build three instead of two, which is very useful, especially if you want to build lots of those little mini ships. Star bases. As the humans, you default start with this technology. Star bases are, you know, you have those three ship blueprints. The other one that you have is a star base. Star base are basically uh, little defensive forts and they, they can't move. So you build them for protection, basically. You know, if you're doing one of those scientific paths, these are gonna be a little bit more useful. You're gonna place them in a hex where you think is vulnerable to attack because once you build them, they're not going anywhere. They start off already pretty tough. And if you upgrade them uh, a decent amount, they can be quite an obstacle uh, for an opponent that's trying to invade. The interesting thing about these is they don't need a drive, of course, because they don't go anywhere. Orbitals. Uh, one of the techs is an orbital. It basically gives you a, an extra planet. It's uh, orbiting one of the planets, of course. And you can use the orbital to get you income in money or science. Obviously, you're not going to get a lot of materials out of a space station. The monoliths, we talked about that. The starred techs, don't forget about that. There's lots of those planets that have an extra box, has a star in it. You can only go in those stars if you have the required tech. So if you want to go in that planet with the brown star, you would need advanced mining. A weird one is this one called the artifact key. There are these hexes that have this little star symbol on them. Pay attention to how many of those star symbols that you have in, in hexes that you control. Normally you might have one or maybe two, and if you're doing a little battle, you might be able to get three of these, but they're on some of the most desirable hexes. And immediately when you purchase this technology, you get a flood of resources. You get five resources of one type for each of these stars that you have. So if you do have three of those, you get 15 resources. You could you split that up in groups of five. So you could take 15 money or five of each or whatever you wanted to do. Uh, but pay attention to that little star. 
And the last tech that can be really game-changing is the wormhole generator. Remember to move in this game, you have to move through those full circles and how you orientate those tiles to build those circles at the beginning of the game can be very important for how easy it is to move or how hard it is to get to places. If you have the wormhole generator, then your ships, all of your ships can go through half circles, which makes moving around the board much easier for you. It is among the most expensive techs in the game and that's important because it is a game changer. I mentioned just briefly the rewards on the back of those discovery tiles. Those can be very juicy. You can get an immediate bonus in money or science or material, something like five to eight, which is a big boost. A free cruiser ship, a free tech. But one of the best things is these ship parts. These ship parts are supposed to be from the ancients alien technology, but it's one ship part that you can immediately put on one of your ships, and you can either put it on right away, or you can wait till your next upgrade phase to decide which one you want to put it on, but then it will count as one of your two plays. And those ship parts are just amazing. There's a hull with three stars on it, computer that plus three, it's all sorts of great stuff so you really hope you get one of those apparently also it's possible to go bankrupt like total bankrupt if you can't pay your expenses and you don't have enough influence discs to put back i would think that would have to be really rare and you had to do things pretty terribly to have that situation occur but Maybe some of the listeners can explain their stories of doom. But those are all the little bits and pieces. But the most important thing about these vegetables is all of these rules, as I've described, is only for playing the game the first time you play it. The game comes with variable player powers called aliens. But I, they were also thoughtful enough, because this game is complex enough as it is, to have these human sides of the player mats. And the human sides of the player mats are all the same. But after you've played it once or twice, if you want, you can say, all right, we're going to play with the aliens now. You flip them over, and the alien player mats is going to provide a varied player experience for each of the players there. As I said, one of the things that, that really changes is how the actions work. Some of the aliens allow you uh, to build more or to do more research a turn, and that's displayed simply by those icons. A few of them have a little bit more involved abilities, and, and you can get into the rule book a bit for that. Uh, but each one is going to really sort of encourage a different route, which I've talked about on Ludology, about having mixed feelings about, um, you know, having a a role that says, all right, you're really good at science. Well, I guess I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do lots of science. And so it sort of takes some of those decisions away from you, but it, it changes the experience. It gives you a different perspective of the game. And heck, if you don't like it, you can just play with the humans. But it's, you know, I'm not going to criticize it because it gives you a, a whole different way to play the game. Are these balanced? I, I don't really know. I haven't played them enough to know. I know that I played one of them that I thought was pretty strong compared to the other ones, but uh, more play, I guess, will have to bear that out. There's an expansion for the game. I'm looking forward to see uh, what that adds to the game as well. One of the things that aliens also have that's different is they might have different starting texts. They um, they have different exchange rates. You know, you you lose that luxury of the humans to trade two to one. All the aliens are three to one, so um, it doesn't allow you that flexibility quite as much. Uh, a few other things to be aware of: if you end up in a stalemate where no one can 
do anything to the other, then the attacker has to retreat or he just dies. One criticism of the game that, that some people have said is they don't like how turn order works. And this is something Jeff and I is one of our pet peeves that we complain about, is that if someone gets start player, uh, then the other turn order in the game is completely random. So if the person to my right takes the start player marker, then I'm happy because I get to go second for nothing that I did in the game. Whereas if the player to my left took start player, then I'm sad because I have to go last. One way to alter this is to use a little turn order chart and mark that track as people drop out. That's going to affect their turn order for the next turn. So the first person to pass will go first the next time, the second person to pass will go second, and so on. So this is going to take you out of clockwise rotation, and if that's going to bother you, then you're not going to want to do this. But if you don't like that sort of random turn order piece that some people have complained about, that's a, that's a possible fix. As I talked about earlier player counts, I really see this as uh, 4, 5, and 6. They recommend on BGG 4 and 6, which makes sense because if you have an odd number, uh, think about that Settlers of Catan board again. You're going to have, if you have 5, you're going to have that empty space on the bottom, and you're going to give two players an advantage with lots of free, easier territory, which is really a bit unfortunate. But I think that about covers everything that you really need to know to, uh, to enjoy and play a game of Eclipse. I want to once again thank our supporters, the good people of the Northeast United States. Thank you to the 25 or so of you who donated to the show. If you enjoy and use the show, please consider supporting the show with a PayPal donation at my website, howtoplaypodcast.com. But for now, I'm going to sign off from the How to Play studios so that I can go see my new baby boy. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Ryan Sturm of the How to Play podcast. That wraps up this episode of How to Play, but be sure to visit us on our website, www.howtoplaypodcast.com for all the How to Play resources, to discuss the show, to contact me, or to show your appreciation for the show with a PayPal donation. I count on your support to help keep How to Play growing. If you use and love the How to Play podcast, I need your help. Show your appreciation by making a donation, spread the word about the show, and just let me know what you think about the show there at the Guild. Thanks again to you, the How to Play listeners around the world. And until next time, I hope you will learn, teach, and play great games. The How to Play podcast is part of the Dice Tower Network, the premier board gaming media network, featuring Ludology and the flagship podcast, The Dice Tower. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. All right, so we're done. What do you think of the episode, Tom? It was very well streamlined, and I was impressed. Oh, thanks. It's nice to hear. All right, we'll see you later. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Will you stop doing that? It's kind of creepy.